Welcome to the show tonight. It's great to be here. And uh, wow, it's cooled down a whole 95 today. So it's kind of kind of, kind of getting the winter weather for us. Not. But uh, it's good to have you all here. My name is Charlotte. I'm your host for the next hour or so. And I have a great guest tonight. And, you know, I, talking to this lady brings back personal things for me because of the way my life has gone for the last two or three years. And uh, so I kind of need to get some insight from her. Anyway, we are the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team based out of Sacramento, California. We're 35 strong locally, but we do have other people in other areas of California, uh, you know, like up and down the state, plus Oregon, Washington, uh, Nevada, and Hawaii. And so uh, we are a nonprofit, so if you have any kind of haunting ghost problems, anything you want looked at, give, give us a contact. www.californiahaunts.org. Um, today... This is one of those shows where I get to put on my journal. Oh my gosh, my journalism hat. In that, um, you know how I like to mix the shows up, and you know, with 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 COVID and and everything going on, there's a lot of people that are having family members that are passing away and whatnot, and 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 there's a lot of grieving going on, and sometimes people need a little help with that grieving to you know to learn how to get out of it. It's it's a difficult thing to get out of grieving, and I know. I, I suffer like anybody else. My mom's been gone two years, and I miss her terribly. It's like anything else. You go down to the store or, or, or you go some, you know, you head somewhere else, and, and it's somewhere you went with that person, and, and automatically, boom, the, the memories come back. It could be anything, anything on TV. You know, you're doing really good, and then, boom, there's the memories. I just lost my dog, you know. So, I mean, we're hit with that every day, and, and then the people, you know, that have the family members that, that are passing away from COVID or have passed away from from COVID-19, you know, also are going through this right now. So I think that this is an important show to do for people. I think people need to know. Anyway, I'm going to uh, bring her on. Her name is Julie Kramer, and she has written a book about uh, that goes along the line of, tur of turning your grief into something positive, which I'm very, very interested in. I think you guys would be too. So without uh, further ado, let me bring her in. Hello. Hello, greetings. How you doing? I'm good. <laughs> I know, it's great to meet you. Let me adjust my backdrop here. There we go. There we go. Okay. It's good to meet you too. You yeah. know, when I was looking at you know potential interview guests, you stuck out to me because like I said in the intro, there's a lot of people that are that are grieving lost family members right now. Mm. You know, there's a lot of that going on. And you know, like I said, you know, my mother died two years ago and I'm still having issues with it. I, I live in the same house. So, you know, every time I, I, I'm walking, you know, I'm sitting there watching TV, I'm thinking of her or my other studio is what was her bedroom, you know, and th this was her, their master bedroom that I'm in. So I have those reminders and then I just lost my dog. So that didn't help it. So, I mean, you know, I'm so sorry. That's not such a terrible loss. Okay. Yeah. I've been, I've been going through that transition thing for the last two years i'm kind of i hate to say it but i'm kind of glad covid hit when it did because i was lost after my mother died i went through a period where i just did not know what i wanted to do yeah and so i've had a year to think about it and it's still kind of like that but it's, i think it's getting better but that's one of the reasons why i wanted to have you on not because of me but i know there's there's more people like me out there right now yeah that are yeah. going through this stuff in a time of great change and loss a lot of people are are getting sick or dying, and it's very difficult to deal with all this loss. It's just a great shock. 
And, um, you know, I used to be a chaplain for hospice. And when you're with hospice, you're at the end of life. So everyone right. I worked with was dying. But um, I worked with all kinds of people. Some were homeless, some were successful, some were retired, some were young. I had an 18-year-old who was dying. Um, and I found that, you know, most people did not know how to deal with it or what to say or what to do or what would be nourishing for them or what would be nourishing for the other people. Mm -hmm. So as a chaplain, when you enter a room where somebody's dying, the family looks at you like, what are you doing here? And you better help us or get out. That's kind of their attitude because it's a very deep, intimate place and they don't want a stranger there. Right. And so right away, I realized that if I didn't add some value to the situation, I was going to be pushed out of the room and I wouldn't be able to do my job. Right. So I myself have gone through a lot of grief in my life because I came from a very dysfunctional family. Mm -hmm. And um, although it looked good on the outside, it really wasn't, wasn't good. And so I've spent, you know, 30 years or so grieving. And I have learned a few things. And so I decided to share what I knew worked for me with them, with these mm -hmm. people. And so what I worked, what I did was I, you know, what worked for me was to shift to my heart space, uh, which is where, you know, and I'm kind of a mind heart person. I have both a mind and a heart that are kind of in competition all the time. And so um, the thing about grief is you cannot reason your way through it, right? You know, the mind cannot process grief. And that's the biggest mistake that grief groups make. Like, it, you know, I went to a lot of grief groups and I ran a grief group. And I went to the other groups to see what they were doing. And almost all of them were trying to tell people they should do this, they should do that, they had to do this, and explain all the reasons. Well, that's a mental approach. And grief does not, it, it's not, in my opinion, very effective to work with grief through the mind. I just think it doesn't work. So the first thing I do when I work with people was have them shift from their mind to their heart. And the way I did that was to uh, say a prayer for them, a, just a non-denominational prayer that everybody would be okay with. Because prayer puts you in the realm of spirit and soul and intuition and emotion. So I would just say a quick prayer to ask God for help and bless them and thank them and so on. Then I would um, invite them to share their what they were grateful for from this person and go around the room. And that was good. And then I would invite them to weep and expressed sorrow. I, I find that in the Western world, we have to give ourselves permission to cry. Mm -hmm. And so I would invite them to weep. And I, I have music, you know, here's this uh, uh, grateful, let's see, what's it called? Uh, it's by Gary Mal Malkin. He wrote a beautiful CD set for grieving, and I've forgotten the name of it. I think it's called Graceful Passages. Mm -hmm. It's fabulous. And I would put that music on 
and it has prayers in it. And it would bring people to their heart space. And the prayers are from all different walks of life. I mean, there's Hindu, Buddhist, Christian, um, Jewish prayers, um, New Age prayers, Wiccan prayers, every, every possible combination. But they're all very heartfelt. And so through music and this process that I built, people would start to weep. And then after they said what they were grateful for, mm -hmm. I would invite them to find the wisdom that they gained from knowing this person. So that's one way that you can quickly speed up the grieving is by figuring out what did this person give you that is now yours? Mm -hmm. One person I talked to, her mother was very spiritual, and she was not spiritual. Your cat. <laughs> I know. I was My, trying to figure out what it was over your shoulder. Yeah, two cats. <laughs> you know, they're going in and out. I started to focus Europe, and I was like, what is that? <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> oh, boy. I usually have a background, but oh, that's I cool. Work that up. But anyway. Sorry about that. I just had to. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so that's basically the formula. And I've had, I've worked with over 10,000 people to help them process their grief. And the thing about it is, is if you can exchange your grief for the wisdom, mm -hmm. then it speeds up the grieving. So, for example, when in one, one of my grief groups, a guy was there and he had lost the love of his life. He had been married for 40 years. Maybe it was 50. And he, at one point, I said, well, what, what, what did you gain from that person that you would never have gained if they had not been in your life? And he said, well, I had to give up the love of my life to meet my soulmate. In other words, what did you gain? What what opened up for you after they left? Mm -hmm. Because it opens a space that they're holding. They might be holding the spiritual side of life or the wisdom of life or the mechanics of life or the, you know, they have some ability that you may not have. But once they go away, once they die, then suddenly you have to kind of build that into your life because it's missing. And so that's what you gain. And the sooner you kind of flip everything from a loss to a gain, the sooner you can let go of the grief because what I, my method has the mind and the heart working together. Mm -hmm. So the heart is the part of us that feels the grief. But the mind can figure out what did you gain from knowing them that you didn't, you know, like for example, my father taught me to be a hard worker. Now, there are a lot of things about him I didn't like, but that was very valuable to get that from him. And he also was a very creative, independent thinker. And I value both of those. Those are very valuable that are there now in me. And so actually I've moved on from grieving now to forgiving. I realized that at some point that I had to forgive my family because they were so dysfunctional. Oh my God. And um that's that's really you know i'm and, not laughing at you i'm just saying a lot of families are dysfunctional <laughs> yeah just you know and it's so hard if you're like me i'm not a really forgiving person now i've met other people who are very forgiving and i've i i have high standards and i'm a perfectionist and i don't want to 
you know, if somebody doesn't behave the way I think they should, then I'm not inclined to forgive them. <laughs> I have to be honest about that. That's what I've learned. And this whole experience with this family, it forced me to be forgiving. It really did against my will. Mm -hmm. But I had to forgive them because it was it was killing me. I didn't I was it was eating me up. You know, there's a book called, um, oh boy, what's the name of that? It's, um, it's all about he heal your feelings, heal your heart and heal your feelings, heal your body. Louise Hay, she wrote a book coordinating what part of your body is sick with what part of your feelings are you know, not processed. Mm -hmm. In other words, if you're bitter, you could end up with pancreatic cancer. <laughs> and um, I got very sick and I realized that I was bitter. And so I realized I had to forgive my family. So the next thing after this was forgiving them. It's one thing to uh, get out of being sad but that's kind of the first step. Then the next thing you have to do is forgive the people. And I think you also can find your purpose, find your calling in your grief and in the loss. So for example, um, this woman whose mother was very, very spiritual, but she was not spiritual. When her mother died, she actually uh, became much more conscious of the spiritual path and she started to carve one out for herself and then she started to guide other people in that direction. So that became part of her mission. She was a coach and a teacher and that was a very good mission for her. Um, and so, for example, in my life, because I was bitter for 40 years, but now I've forgiven them, um, one of the things I can do is coach people on forgiveness. Mm -hmm. So that's part of my mission. Uh, but also I can coach people on how to give up grieving, how to, you know, get through the grief. And part of it is, in my world, it's based on spiritual um, assistance and guidance, mm -hmm. you know, I, it's possible to do this without believing in God, but it helps if you can call in God and the divine and the Holy Spirit, or, you know, mm -hmm. it could be Buddha or Mohammed or the Hindu gods, whatever it is it really helps to bring that energy in to your grieving process and just put them together. And because, you know, the thing about grieving, I'll say it again, <laughs> the mind cannot grieve. The mind just goes around and around and around and around. And it goes, well, but I did this and they did that and I did this and they did that and this happened and that happened. It just reviews everything on and on and on. But the heart, because it feels everything, when you actually cry tears, there then you're getting rid of some of the grief. It's the way we say is there's a bucket of grief. And every time you weep, you take some of that water out of the bucket. Mm -hmm. And so every time you grieve, you're getting rid of more and more of the grief. Um, I know that sounds simple and obvious, but it's really not, the mind does, <laughs> the mind does not get that. The mind doesn't understand that crying is necessary to grieve. Is grief um, kind of related to stress? Because I mean, like, 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 
in a woman's case, more so with women, you know, when, when they get stressed out, they cry more. So is it a similar deal because that because all that grief you know builds up in, in you and then the, then there's the release. See, I think that's an intellectual way of looking at grief, which I don't really accept. <laughs> I think that's a very uh, logical way to look at grieving. It, it's kind of like the mind is saying, "Well, you're just under too much stress. Just." Mm -hmm get away from all that stress and you won't have to grieve. But I don't really think that's it. No. Mm -mm. Okay. Okay. But, you know, the way I look at it is not the way the mainstream world looks at it. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, therapists and grief counselors, they really believe that the mind can help you get through grieving. And I don't, I don't see it. I, except if the mind will work on figuring out what did you gain from knowing this person, and what did what did you lose when they left. That's what I think the mind should be focused on, not analyzing what happened. Okay. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. Yeah. And, and, you know, a lot of people say that grieving takes its own time. But I don't agree. I think you can get through grief quickly if you follow this formula. Okay. It's just that I don't think people can do it alone. And I do think it's better to do it with a coach or a group of people. And, you know, in the indigenous world, um, they do grief together often. Um, and I, there's a guy who also has written about grief. His name is Maladoma Somi, and he's from Africa. He's in, from an indigenous uh, community in Africa. And he's written a book on grieving. Um, some, I think it's called like Water Like Spirit. And it's a beautiful book. But in it, he describes how the community, every morning, they, and you can go hear him probably on YouTube. He, he, I highly recommend him and I highly agree with him. But his community, every morning, they would all get up and meet together in a circle. And they would go around the circle and say, how are your dreams? How do you feel today? Mm -hmm. And you would tell the group the truth. Like, are you mad? Are you joyous? Are you sad? Are you, whatever you feel, they you tell the group. And they would you know, feel with you. If you're joyous, they would feel happy. If you're sad, they will feel sad and they'll go with you into your sorrow. They'll ask you why, 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 what happened? What do you need? What do you want? And I think we need to be living in that kind of community again today. Okay, okay. So what inspired you to write the book? Well, I think it was just that um, I discovered that I had a method that was very different than what was being promoted out there in the world. <laughs> and I was afraid I would forget the method if I didn't write it down. So I wrote it down to keep track of what the method was. And I wrote the book 15 years ago, and I only published it this year. Why, um, why, why did it take so long? Well, I, frankly, I didn't, um, why did it, it took a long time because it's not a popular subject. Okay. And I was very skeptical that anyone 
would really be that interested in reading it. <laughs> um, and it's kind of esoteric, you know, but, and yet it's central to the human condition. I mean, how can you be a successful human being if you don't grieve and feel sorrow? You can't really grow up unless you process your grief. I think a lot of wars are started because people don't grieve. And anyway, it took a long time because I, well, actually I did publish it 15 years ago as a workbook. And it actually, the original workbook has two CDs. And the CDs include Music to Grieve By and also my narrative asking you questions. And the, it has a place where you can journal. So I did publish it. But it was such a production. After writing it, it took all my energy to write it. And then to just even produce a workbook took a great deal of time and energy. And I, frankly, I wasn't making any money writing this book or producing it. So I had to get back and to work again. I had to right. go back to work. And that was that. It's all very fascinating to me, you know, um, because like you say, there are a lot of books about grief out there. There's a lot of techniques about dealing with grief. I know my cousin sent me one of... Um, and I still have it, and it's because I ended up, I, I think the title was, and if my cousin's watching this, I'm sorry, but it's a, I can't remember off the top of my head. Mm -hmm. I think the title had to do with ending up um, as a uh, only child. You know, when you lose your, because I have sisters and brothers, but I was the only one here. So, I mean, you know, you, you end up, oh, I know what it was, the, 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 the orphan. Mm. You know, ending up an orphan. And, and the book was real helpful, you know. Oh, that's time cool. that I had it, and it was about you know both your parents die, and then suddenly you realize you're you you you're going alone. So, like I said, there's a lot of books out there. So I think there's interest in a book like like what you have, especially now. Oh, well, yeah. I hope that it'll be helpful. And by the way, I'm going to start a grief group, an okay. online grief group, that'll follow this method, and. That should be, you know, now that everybody's used to Zooming, I think we could do that. How I, do you, uh, how yeah. do you, sorry about that, go ahead. Go ahead. How do you prevent people from, from plunging into that ocean? Yeah. Out of it? That's one of the problems with grief, and it's very difficult, is if you really get into feeling your grief, you can mm -hmm. end up thinking in it, like just, you know, becoming paralyzed with grief. And that is really, I think, one reason why a lot of people don't really process their grief. They don't feel it that deeply. Uh, but so there's two pro problems with grief. You can either sink into a hit with it and be overwhelmed and feel like you'll never get out of it or you can repress it and float along the surface of life and pretend you're not sad and both of those are the extremes but the place that I'm recommending people go is the middle and the middle is where you feel like one person I know recently broke up with his spouse. Mm -hmm. And I suggested he spend like a half hour a day on a park bench just feeling his grief. And so what I recommend is just like maybe a half hour or an hour a day, probably a half hour feeling the grief, but also asking God for the wisdom. And that, if you can do both at the mm -hmm. same time, you won't go too deep into it and you won't go too shallow above it. And so that's 
my solution to prevent you from sinking into overwhelming grief. Now, when someone loses somebody, and I know you were talking about, you know, when you enter, say, a hospital room, I, I know what people think, okay? The first thing you think is somebody like you, like, comes in like you and you think, oh, my God, it's the angel of death. Mm, yeah. And that's the first thought that goes through, that goes through your head. Been there, <clears> done that. And so how do you, um, how do you approach them? Like, like after their love, after, like, say you're there, you, you know, you talk with them, the loved one passes away. How do you approach them? Do you approach them right away or do you, or do you wait a while? Well, um, usually I start, well, I'll tell you the best answer I could possibly give you is the secret of the Holy Grail, which is when, if you read that book, you'll find out that the secret of the Holy Grail is to ask the following three questions. What ails you? And then really listen. You could listen for a half hour. Mm -hmm. And then what do you need? And you listen. And then how can I serve you? Okay. And those are the three. So recently I had a friend who was going to visit somebody who was dying. And she just asked those three questions. And she said it was amazing how they really connected. She really was there for this person. They really were able to share what they needed. Because at a time like that, people are filled with conflicting emotions mm -hmm. and they don't want anybody to come in and talk to them and tell them what to do and what to think and how to go and <laughs> they just want to pour out what's on their heart and you have if you can be a receptive vessel and just take it all in you know just you know, very welcoming to say, oh, yes, I can hear your pain or, oh, I feel that grief or, oh, that must be so difficult. You know, it's just a matter of being emotionally present to mirror their needs and their feelings. Do you find it... Uh like, like with the different personalities, like like you were talking earlier about the brain and all this and how people deal with this. I mean, you might get someone that that's more easygoing and more open to what well, to, to what you have to you know to what you're trying to do, and then you get the people that are downright ang angry. Yes, I have run into that. Believe me, I once walked into a room, and this happened to me many, 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 many times where the brother and sister were arguing. They were so angry. They were arguing over the funeral arrangements, but the person was still alive, Whoa. not dead. And they were so polarized. And this is very common. Mm -hmm. Often siblings are polarized about stuff. Or husbands and wives. I, I worked with one uh, group of children where the, um, let's see, how is this working? I think the father was dying and the children came to the emergency room and the mistress was in the waiting room. But they didn't, not everybody knew about the mistress. Oh boy. And the mother was not there yet, but she was due to arrive. And um, anyway, we get, chaplains get right into the middle of all these things. But when people are angry, this is where I would bring Gary Malkin's graceful passage music. I carried a music box and I'd plug it in before I even said hello, I'd plug it in, start this very mellow music like Paco Bell, okay. you know, something really powerful and deeply soulful. And the people would 
go, oh, you know, they would like be surprised in a hospital room to run into this without having a discussion. It was very unusual. And so then after about a minute or two for them to settle down, um, I would I, I would never go into the argument ever. I would never say, oh, you feel this and you feel that. And no, I wouldn't. I, I did have a situation where I negotiated issues between a husband and wife, but I'll tell you about that in a minute. But when they're around the bedside, I just would start at, by asking what did this person give you? And then what did you give them? What are you grateful for? And if you would like to say, thank you, I forgive you, I love you, now would be the time. And they would follow this. Always, everybody would always say something. And one time I did this and there were 50 people in the room and the young 21-year-old son went up to his mother and he was crying and he said, he was the first one. He said, mom, please forgive me for all the drug use and drug dealing. And he, everybody was riveted because of course, many of them knew this, but mm -hmm. he did ask for forgiveness. People really want to reconcile at the end. They want to. I mean, in their hearts, they want to. <laughs> in their minds, they don't want to. But in their heart, you know, their heart and their soul knows that it would be good to reconcile. <laughs> so if everybody is going around and saying something, usually even the most reticent person will say something. Mm -hmm. And I've had some very dramatic things happen. Um, one time there was a husband and wife. Well, they weren't married, but they had been together for 30 years. And she was dying. And everybody was there, the whole family, all the kids and the husband. Mm -hmm. And she, I did the ceremony and I asked her, is there anything you'd like to share? Normally I don't ask people, but if they're awake and alert, I did. And boy, did she talk. She went on for about 20 minutes about, and it was all in Spanish and I don't speak Spanish. So the daughter was translating, but I understood that the mother told the son to stop doing drugs and she told the daughter to, you know, stop fooling around. And she told the ex, the husband who wasn't married to her that, you know, that she was very worried about the kids because they weren't married and the kids didn't have a father and they would end up in foster homes and da, 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 da. And it went on and on and on. And so finally then, when everybody else got to say something, it was very deep and very heavy. This went on for like three hours, this whole program. And at the end, the husband who wasn't married to her, he asked her to marry him. And she said, yes, and everybody was crying. And so they got married the next day and then she died right after. And it was great because then the kids had, you know, they didn't have to go to foster care. Wow. How dangerous is it for somebody, uh, you know, when somebody passes away, how, dan how dangerous to the soul? Cause we're talking about, you know, we're talking about the heart here. How dangerous is it when somebody just, just acts like nothing happened and then they just continue on their way. 
without grieving. The the person who's alive? Yeah. Oh, well, <clears throat> boy. I don't know. I I don't know the answer to that. Um because you know, because obviously they haven't taken the time to 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 really grieve. So I mean, they're carrying all that. Well, it it's possible that it it's complicated. Mm -hmm. I mean, it it I don't think it's dangerous, but I think it. Um, well, now it's true that grief can be expressed as anger. Right. And that's, so anger can be dangerous. And that's a big thing to watch and to work on. And, but on the other hand, um, my concern is that when a person isn't doing the grieving, that they miss out on the chance to become a more mature person a more adult person, a more happy person, actually. Mm -hmm. Because when we don't grieve, we end up on the surface of life and we can become sarcastic and flippant and argumentative. And then our relationships become shallow. So we may not be that happy. And so the thing about grieving is there are many, many benefits to grieving. One of them is that once you, even if you just do some of the grieving, you can feel happier because, you know, if you don't clear out all that grief, you can, you're not going to get all the joy. Mm -hmm. You know, it's possible to be very happy in life even though you've gone through a great deal of grief. Mm -hmm. And um, that's my concern, is that the person would have, would fail to grow up to be a more mature person and to be happy, mature okay. and happy. I mean, this all gets down to what is the purpose of life anyway? And I think that we have to look at, um, I've come to decide for myself that, you know, the reason life isn't perfect and it's got all these crappy parts to it, <laughs> you know, sorrows and depressions and disappointments and things is that we're meant to deal with all that and grow. Mm -hmm. That's how we grow. It's crazy, but that is how we grow. I mean, that's how we learn. Like, um, you know, I would never have be realized that I was an unforgiving person unless I almost died and I realized I had become bitter. <laughs> and then I started to work on forgiving and now I'm much happier. Things are opening up. My life isn't so boring and shallow and limited. I'm meeting new people and so on and so forth. And I'm starting to notice that there are a lot of people that are very forgiving out there. They may not have other qualities that I like, but they're forgiving. And I'm <clears throat> like, wow. How did they get so forgiving anyway? <laughs> I, I'm like, wow, that's that's really something. And, you know, the other thing to remember is that um, it's the people that had a lot of heavy stuff to deal with, heavy challenges and pain that really are able to grow the most. I mean, I've, I met a, on vacation, I met this guy who kept telling me over and over and over again. He kept saying, oh, I've had such a blessed life. He came from India. 
from a very poor village and a poor family. But he was brilliant and he was able to get a PhD and move to America and get married and buy a house and blah, blah, blah. But the more I listened to him, I mean, I was feeling very jealous in the beginning, but after I listened to him more and more, I realized that he had never gone through any of the big challenges that I've gone through. And I realized that he was kind of a shallow person. Mm -hmm. He was very, very smart, very wealthy. He had a good family and all that, but he didn't have the depth and the strength and the courage that I have. Mm -hmm. And so I, in the end, I didn't feel jealous anymore. And I think that when we grieve, we that usually when we have a lot of heavy grief, it can be because we've gone through a lot of suffering. Mm-hmm. I think there's some great wisdom in that and great growth that can come out of that. I have a question for the chat room. Have you studied the Native American feather that if that, that if you find a bird feather, it, it was dropped by a loved one to say that I'm fine? That peace? Are you asking me? Yes. Oh, no, I haven't. Tell me more about it. That's just it's a question from the chat. I guess I guess you can look oh. that up somewhere. Yeah, have oh. you studied the, the Native American feather that the, 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 that if you find a bird feather it was it was dropped from a loved one to say that I'm finding that piece. Yes. You know what? A good friend of mine was telling me that she found a feather and it, she knows that it was representing her brother who died. She knows that. So I have encountered that and I I honor that. Awesome. What was the most dramatic turnaround that you witnessed? Well, um, I once was called to a room that the the what the husband was dying, and the wife was there every day for like I don't know, maybe four or five months. Mm-hmm. And she would come every day to the hospital waiting room with about 40 people. <clears throat> and um, I was told by the doctors that the man was a drug dealer. And he was a very big and wealthy drug dealer. And so, no, you know, the uh, family included sons and daughters and also fellow drug dealers. (laughs) And the problem was the wife was reluctant to make any decisions, but the doctors were explaining to her that he was in a coma and he was not going to wake up and they might as well pull the plug and let him go. I mean, they were trying to explain this, but she was not really accepting it and wasn't, if she did, I I mean, I finally asked her, do you understand what they're saying, that he is Mm -hmm. at the end? And she Mm -hmm. said, yes, I understand. And they wanted her permission to take him off life support and let him go, but she wasn't giving it to them. Mm-hmm. And so they asked me that as a chaplain to come to the meeting and see if I could help her make that decision. So I said, would it be possible for us to do a blessing ceremony for him? And she said, yes. So I met with the priest and because there were so many people, we had to do four ceremonies. Each one would have 10 people mm-hmm. around the bedside. And so he did the first one, and then I did the second one, and he did the third, and I did the fourth. But what happened was um, about 
midway through the third ceremony, the man passed away. And they never had to make a decision. And that's when I realized that people that are dying really want to be honored for their life. And I, I believe that when you honor the life that they live, that you, that they will leave, they will then give up on life. You know, they'll be happy to their, to say, okay, I'm ready to go now. Because I think it's up to them to decide when they want to, you know, it's between them and God. Mm -hmm. I don't really think it's up to the medical people or the family to decide mm -hmm. when the end is. I think it's really much more healthy for the individual who's dying to feel like they served well and gave well and were honored and then make that decision on their own to leave. So, but anyway, that was a very dramatic thing that happened. That was early on in my work as a chaplain. I didn't expect anything like that. And that made me realize how much people want to be honored for the life that they did lead. Interesting. How does the dark night of the soul come into your approach? Well, um, I am a person who believes in the dark night of the soul. I think it's good for the soul. <laughs> I believe that when we go through a challenging, difficult time, mm -hmm. that we grow and we with that's how we become deeper. We acquire depth. And that when we acquire depth, we are a much more impressive human being. We have more courage, we have more um, stamina, we have more power. Everything is expanded when we have depth. But we only get that depth when we go through the dark night of the soul. And what is the dark night of the soul? For people well, that don't know. In, that is an experience where um, you go through... It's, well, you know, the perfect example is Jesus. He went through 40 days in the desert, and mm -hmm. he didn't have any companionship. He didn't have any water or food or anything. Mm -hmm. And it was desolate and dark. And so it's any experience where we don't have the support we need, physical support or emotional support or spiritual support it could be any one of those or all three of those mm -hmm. and what happens is we because there's no support anywhere we have to go inside and figure things out and and we have to deal with things and we have to grow up how, how do you define sp uh, spiritual direction as, as you know it? Okay. Well, um, there are many different schools of spiritual direction. There's the Catholic school, the Presbyterian school, etc. cetera. Um, the Presbyterians are using a more psychological model. The Catholics... You know, they developed this whole thing from scratch back in the Middle Ages in the monasteries. And it was used to help a priest discern which way to go, like what decision to make. So one priest would, a younger priest would go to an older priest for help discerning what would God's will be for their life and their mm -hmm. career and everything. So, in the old days, they would pray about it and look for signs. And I'm kind of an old school person. I think that's the way we should be doing spiritual direction today. I think we need to be asking God for direction 
through the Holy Spirit and through signs. And I think that the spiritual director should offer a framework for saying prayers and also for asking for direction. But the modern approach is not to give any direction at all. Mm -hmm. That bothers me. So I, I don't agree with that approach, which some schools are promoting. They just feel that you should just be as, well, they're promoting the idea of the Holy Grail. What, you know, just ask the three questions. What ails you? What do you need? How can I serve? Uh, and although they don't really ask, how can I serve? They just say, what ails you? What do you need? That's it. Well, I don't think that's enough. I think you also have to provide leadership and provide some guidance to the person to get where they want to go. And that could be prayer guidance, spiritual guidance, or it could be emotional guidance, or it could be um, intellectual guidance. Mm -hmm. Do you think... Um people should be going through grief alone or, 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 or you think that they should have a support? I really think it should be a group process. I mm -hmm. really think that what, I mean, when I ran a grief group, it was fabulous because people would see what other people were learning and doing and nobody had the whole thing figured out. Everybody had a little part of it. Like one woman might be very good at crying, but not very good at figuring out what she was learning. Another person would be very analytic and they'd figure out what they were learning, but they couldn't get in touch with their grief. And so by all of us being together, we could see a fuller range of ways to process our grief. And also we got to, because we met every week, we got to see the results and some people would bring in spiritual things, spiritual prayers or ideas. And that was very helpful for them. And it might be helpful for the person who was too um, secular too. Mm -hmm. So I think the group process is very, very good. Much better than grieving alone. What do you say to people right now that are out in the world who, who are grieving? Well, I, I guess I would recommend uh, prayer and meditation, first of all, to a daily practice and I would also recommend community um, and I would also recommend time to grieve, time to weep, like get some um, prayer music or soul music or spiritual music, sacred music and put it on and just sit there and feel the grief just weep and then when you've wept turn the music off and say a prayer and get up and go on with your day but that's what i would recommend is it helpful for people to talk to their loved ones after they die oh ah uh, yes um well that's variable I, I know many, many people do that. Um, <clears throat> I would think it would be helpful. I haven't actually experienced that myself. I was so mad at my parents. I just told my mother was hanging around and I said, get out of here, go away. <laughs> um, but so, but I'm sure my girlfriend who loved her brother and her brother died but he appears and also her mother and father died but they appear sure um she finds it very very helpful 
they are coming along. They appear when she is either in the middle of making a decision mm -hmm. or when she's feeling depressed. And that is very nourishing, very nourishing. Mm -hmm. And so I think it just depends on the relationship and what happened and so on and so forth. And you can see my cat. <laughs> He's starting around again. <laughs> I have dogs and cats. It's all good. Um, do you think that the people, here's a question from the chat room. Do you think that the people of India are on the uh, better track of, of finding peace? Well, I admire the people in India and the Middle East very, very much for their open grieving. And I think they're way ahead of the West in the sense that they are unashamed to grieve. It's part of life. They, they get it. They know that it's part of life. And in that sense, they're more mature. And I believe the West has lost that maturity and depth. Mm -hmm. And I think we need that back. And so I just have nothing but the greatest admiration also for Africa. But in the Middle East, when I traveled around the Middle East, they would, in Jordan, I went to a, a wedding in Jordan and they were, and there was a funeral too. And they were weeping and weeping and weeping for days. And I thought, wow, this is, at the time I was very young and I didn't, understand it but later on i came to really admire that as part of their cultural norm and so i do think they're ahead of us with that fantastic this has been a, a very interesting hour and i thank you so much for coming on well, i have learned so much about the grieving process because i was one of those people that you know just jump right back into work you know, got back functional because I didn't, I didn't want to think about stuff. That, that was my issue. But then when COVID hit, I had all this time to sit around the house. And that's when the grieving hit because I was, I was here alone all the time. Oh, yeah. I can't. You know, yeah, because up to that other point, I, I was busy doing other things, you know. So, yeah, it was so great to talk to you and learn about this stuff. How can people reach you? Well, um, they can either email me at juliatkramercoaching.com or they can find, a, I have a short version of my book, which is free. And they just have to go to www.goodlifepath.com slash ebook. And that will get them to if they just have to put in their name and email and they'll get an instant summary of the book. And I think really the summary is better than the book. Okay. Okay. <laughs> it's about. Remember that. Yeah. Okay. Remember that guys. Well, thank you again so much for coming on and I really appreciate it. And um, maybe at some point we can have you on again to talk more about this. subject. Yeah. I love that. We could talk you know. about forgiveness. There you go. We can get okay. to that. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much, Julie. I really appreciate you coming on. Thank you very much. You are a wonderful host. Thank you. You have a good rest of the evening. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. Okay. That was a very interesting hour of, of talk about grieving. I, I, you know, like I said, with the way things are going on right now in the world and a lot of people losing loved ones, I, I think we all need a little bit of that, you know, to, to, to know how to grieve because some people don't know how to grieve. Shifting gears a little bit, um, our numbers, we finally cracked um, 1,027 downloads, guys. That's pretty awesome. The numbers are going up, up, up with the show, and I'm real excited about that. So if you like the show, share it with five people. If you didn't like the show, share it, share it with five people anyway. And uh, we are nonprofit, so again, I'm going to beg you all for some, for some cash to keep this thing on the air. We are at... Donate to paypal.me at California Haunts. That's all you got to do. 
five, six, seven dollars, whatever you have, it'd be great to keep the show on the air to keep bringing in really great guests like, like, like Julie Kramer because that's what we want to do. You know, I want to vary these shows: paranormal, not paranormal; paranormal, not paranormal. I want to make a difference in this world. So, uh, without further ado, tomorrow we are going to speak with Stan Dale. Stan Dale believes that he has found Atlantis and that he has found the Garden of Eden. So he's going to be interesting to talk with. But again, I want to thank our guest from the day, Julie Kramer, for coming on. And I really appreciate her coming. And I will give you some links to get her book and the name of her book and her website. So you can go over there and and, and contact her and, and get that uh, free version of the book, too. That little half version. So here we go. Website, KramerCoaching.com. And there's the book right there. Grief to Gratitude, Julie Kramer. I think I'm going to go over there and get that uh, ebook so I can read that. And that book is available at, um, the main book is Amazon.com. And again, I want to thank you guys. And I will see you here tomorrow at 6.30 for Standale.